Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. At Discount Tire, we know your time is valuable. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online. Did you know Discount Tire now sells wiper blades? Check out our current deals at DiscountTire.com or stop in and talk to an associate today. Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of. Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. In the deserts of Sudan and the gardens of Japan, from Milan to Yakutan, every woman, every man, hit me, hit me, hit me with your rhythm stick. Yes. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are now floating in Screamer Celica. My name's Kevin Graham and his name is Russell Boyce. No Marlene Fabe. Only Fools and Horses, or Bet Gilroy, that is Russell Boyce. Russell, how are you doing tonight? Oh, you know how to set up a show, Kev, my man. I knew straight away the first line, I thought, that's, I know exactly what song that is, definitely, man, that's a belter. 
Uh, so I actually prefer that one to the Beatles one last week. Do you know that? I think that's actually better lyrics. Uh, the Beatles ones are a bit psychedelic, happy trippy type thing, a bit gobbledygook. Um, but uh, yeah. Ian Jury, genius. Another one of the geniuses. And we're going to talk about lyrical geniuses later on. <laughs> we are, mate. We are. When, when we get to the musical bit. But you've got to talk us through that shot tonight, Russell. You have got to talk us through that shot. You have been getting it tight on the State of Mind WhatsApp group. And, you know, luckily for me, I don't give a toss, mate. That's just the best. That's just the best thing. The the only way you can wear these sort of clobber, this sort of clobber, is if, uh, you know, is if you don't don't really care what people think. So, luckily for me, I don't. um, I mean, I've had this for years, mate. It's a a top man number, believe it or not. And I've got to give them their due. It has stood the test of time. I got this in 2012. And there's not a, a hint of fading on it or nothing. Don't get me wrong. It's not like an Adidas t-shirt that you wear twice a week, you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> it's only certain occasions. And I thought, there is no bigger stage than Scream of Silicon, my man, to be, uh, to be gracing you with my leopard print presence. I'm having it, man. You're having it, you're having it. Did, did, did you wear it when you had the pub? Aye. Hundred percent, mate. So you were channeling your inner Rovers return, Bet Gilroy. Ah, well, you could say that. I, but I mean, it was like folk. I think like a character in the world, mate. I think there's not enough characters out there. And quite right, there isn't enough characters at all. There's not, and and to me, it's just a shirt at the end of the day. And anyone could wear if if you if you like the look of a shirt, and it's a a diesel number that's just a plain denim shirt. Crack on, my man. If you like a pre-match shirt, crack on. If you like a leopard print shirt, you end up on Scream of Silica. That's all I'm saying, mate. <laughs> does, top, <laughs> does Top Man still exist? Is that, is that one of them that's went, went under? I've got to be uh, honest, it wasn't a, common, it wasn't a commonly um, visited shop on my, on my hit list, but this was a one-off, man. Aye. If Top Man are listening... And they want to sponsor this podcast, then just just contact us. Anybody that wants to sponsor this podcast, just <laughs> just contact us, and we'll, and, we'll, and we'll talk. I've noticed Paul right away coming in, old and scary spice, <laughs> old spice and scary spice. What can you what can you do when your in producer is ripping? The, the mick right at you. I've got a, I've got a question to ask you before we go into this, Russell. Right? Have you ever have you ever been hit with a rhythm stick? <laughs> I'd be telling all kids. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever been hit with a rhythm stick? Aye, hey. I, get, I, get a bit, I get a bit carried away on a Saturday night, my man. So I've, I've been hit by a few things, mate. <laughs> Oh, I, I'm not going any further than that. I'm, I'm not really no, going no. any further than that. Right, <laughs> right. mischievous need... tonight, mate. I'm feeling mischievous. Uh, oh, definitely. Right, we need to jump in the DeLorean. Yes, I'm ready. So, basically, we're going back to a post-Henrik world. And it's a world that's empty. It's empty for Henrik Larson. Of course, it was always going to yep. be as soon as the King of Kings left. And we're, we're, trying, to f- we're, we're, trying, to fill, we're trying to fill the void the Herms man's chapping my door at half past six on a Tuesday night. What's going on? You know what I mean? There's nobody in the house. I'm just, not, leaving, no. I'm just leaving them out there, man. 
Right, you can, you can rattle my door all you want. Right, so the, the, the post Henrik world is trying to. See, I'm moving on. Just, just leave it there. <laughs> just leave it on the door. Um, the, 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 the post Henrik world, right? We've tried, we've tried to be like, we've tried to fill it. He's put me off now. We've tried to fill it with Henri Kamara, and that doesn't work. And no. this, this Celtic team is basically like better than our rivals were that season, eh? But we can't get in front of them. We just can't seem to really get in front of them. And see, when I was looking back at this, in truth, this is the worst Rangers side I've ever seen win a league title in, in my lifetime. When you look at their team, that team shouldn't have been anywhere near us to win that league title. I mean, let's be... Henningberg? Is it Henningberg and, and folk like that playing for them? It's it's like it's Chris Burke, Burke, um, Novo, Big Marvin, Godfear Marvin, Marvin. Uh, uh, it's a terrible side, absolutely rank rotten side. Gregory Vignal, like Vignal, yeah, yeah, yeah. No match like him. I mean, what happens after this game? It basically hurts like a customs officer pinging their rubber gloves and asking you to strip. <laughs> and, like, and it's much, much worse than this season. The end, the end of this season is much, much worse than this season. And and I'm going to say this. See, in fact, I don't think the end of that season will ever be topped for me because I don't know what football affect me the same way as it did then. This season has this this season has been cakewalk compared to the end of that season. What do you remember about? That horrible, horrible end. Well, the horrible end always has a beginning. And I think we need to do talk about the fact you mentioned Henri Kamara there. But the rumours, of course, were we were going to replace Henrik Larson with none other than Rivaldo, if you remember properly, that summer. Right. No, I never... So, aye, it was meant to be Rivaldo. That summer was released on a free by Barcelona. And the talk was we were gonna we were looking at him, but Martin O'Neill wanted to put him on trial. (laughs) 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 Which uh, I mean, I know we had a show yesterday, Kev, of ifs, buts, and maybe's, but surely (laughs) we've got to explore whether Rivaldo would have maybe you know softened the blow of the king. I think he would have. Uh, I think he would have been a, a fit and replacement, but I remember that was the the rumour at the time. I mean, that summer was just odd, wasn't it? Because once you realised he'd gone, and it really was a grieving period, and folk can slag me for that all you want, but I've never, ever felt... And I was young, don't get me wrong, and, you know, maybe finally shaving a moustache and that, do you know what I mean? I was 16, man, do you know what I mean? Hormones are flying about everywhere. But Henrik leaving was... You know, it was a death in the family sort of moment, wasn't it? And yep. I just feel Martin O'Neill, not for the first time in his Celtic career, wasn't given the tools that were adequate to replace what was going on, Kev. Um, go on. Ooh, I'm going to disagree there because we got a guy that arrived on the last day in a transfer Monday in January. Um, which for me was the tools to win that league. 
Die, but that is a lot. Why is it firstly the last day in January, and why wasn't it the summer when you had two years to prepare for Henrik Larsson leaving? I definitely, I'm not going to disagree. That's and, my uh, point. Uh, and that, that's my biggest regret about Craig Bellamy's time at Celtic. Know yeah. that, know that he didn't stay after the six month. That he wasn't there four months before he came for those six months. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that's that's totally. my, that's my, that's my biggest regret. We can all look at that season and we all know Mark O'Neill had several other reasons for leaving Celtic. My gut feeling is I feel Mark O'Neill would have left Celtic with a heavy heart potentially at the end of that season anyway. I feel that when you look back at Seville, he was a position of strength. He wasn't backed. He was not backed at all and yet he won that league, you know, you said the word cakewalk. He won that at a cakewalk. I can't remember how many points he won it for mm-hmm. by in 2003-2004. By 0405, Henrik's now gone. That's a huge thing to take out of that team. Now, remember, 0405, Chris Sutton chipped him with 28 goals, I think. Mm-hmm. That was his best season, I think. Sutton, though, was someone for me who got it, and he got how big it was Henrik leaving was. And he knew he had to step up in the goal scoring um, side of things. I feel I felt he took on greater responsibility, and he'd always been someone who never shucked away from it. But I felt Sutton that year just went, "Oh no, like this is what we're going to need to do ourselves." Him and Big Bad John, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I thought Sutton's utilised in so many positions. He was a, a superstar that year for us. Um, but I just feel O'Neill. Again, I'd given Celtic too much evidence not to be getting back. And if we were worried about, again, the bills being paid and how we were going to afford it all, I'm sorry, I've said this a million times in the modern in, in, in the current status, you give a great manager the right funds, he will make you the money back in tickets, in player sales if they're needed, and in Champions League qualification. And that's, we lack, we seem to have lacked, and this is still Peter Lawwell, by the way, funnily enough, who was in charge then, who seem to lack the balls when it's necessary um, to take us to that next level by going, not all in, no one's asking anyone to go all in, but by continuing to believe uh, that we can still keep developing, we can still keep going up this chain. Not that we've mm-hmm. hit a glass ceiling by just making group stages, Kev. And I've got to say, at the end of that season, just an answer to your question, it was absolutely heartbreaking. Um, There's no two ways about it. I think you're right. We knew we were better than them. For whatever reason, we've not... You know, league titles never lie and league positions never lie, and I get that. And you've got to hold your hands up sometimes and say, for however crap they were, they completely... You know, they deserve a lot of that, you know, praise and fairness for keeping up. And for, for staying at the top, not that we want to be dishing that out, but fair's fair. I think that day in the last, that, that what was what came about in the last day of that season, for me, was an open goal to win the league. When you compare to how close we came two years before at Kilmarnock, which was a mm-hmm. far more 50-50, they're, they're guaranteed to scalp Dunfermline. We are going to have to play out of skin to scalp Kilmarnock by more. All we had to do was beat Motherwell. It was a far more, an open goal is a harsh word, and a harsh terminology, but it was a far easier way of doing it than what we faced two years before. And I just felt with the experience of two years before still hurting, that would have been a, it would have been a, 
uh, you know, a, a given that we would have got the job done that day. Um, freak things happen. I think that you look at the manner of the goals. Uh, McDonald scores a deflector, an overhead kick. I think one was deflected anyway. Another one, the overhead kick. You go, this is madness. But that's not the game we're talking about. As you rightly pointed out, Craig Bellamy. Wow. The highlights from uh, the match we're covering today, Kev. Uh, I know. I know. I know. Had me really excited today. I'm not going to lie. Watching it back, I genuinely was. I was uh, you felt, because you felt it was so important, not just the, not just, I wasn't just watching and marvel at him, although I was. I was also, it was the relief of when he gets the third goal that you see the stand going nuts and the importance of it. Oh, I was I was caught up in it today, big man. Oh, I love, love a trip to Tannadice. It's one of the, the best away trips that you can get being in that shed and even the, the Jerry Kerr, which is too wee. And, and you can't sit down and there's wooden seats in the corner bit. Eh? And the team's coming out that corner bit of the tunnel wall was, I love that. The fact that the tunnel's not on the halfway line, the tunnel's in the corner. At Tanadice. There's two comments that I want to bring in before we move to the game because I'm, I'm not talking about Black Sunday because I'll need to go away and meditate if you actually tell, talk about any more about Black, Black Sunday to me. I've, I've, I need to, I've just got over that therapy. Um, let's see. F- F- Fraser Ogilvy. Bellamy was another version of Tevez, unplayable at times. Hold that thought, Fraser, because we'll be coming back to that. Tevez was no, Tevez is not the player I was thinking of, but we'll be coming back to who I think Craig Bellamy was a version okay. of. Um, okay. Adam Beanie-Smith, when Bellamy signed, I cut the collar off my Celtic top because Bellamy did. That was one of the things I noticed when he scores the winner here and he does that wee angry celebration. It looks like he's bit the collar off his top. Aye, I was going to bring it up as well. Now, my theory was he just pulled it in. So I think Adam's been a wee bit... <laughs> I think you might be a bit hasty, mate. I think all he did was pulled it in, big man. Adam's out with it. He's out with the scissors. I'm pretty sure he just pulled it in. But... So, so we're trying to say Johnny Hayes was more radical than Craig Bellamy when he cut his collar off his top. That's right. I think his was folded in too. <laughs> but no, I, I think it was one of those wee silly flappy nylon collars though, Kev. Do you know what I mean? It was a horrible yeah, kit. I, I, think went, that, I think that kit's just been ruined by what actually happened in it. Anytime, nah, I, see, anytime I see it now, it's just a horrible. I just didn't like it. Uh, some, some, some of the kits you see now that you didn't like at the time, like the Hamden season with the free big the three big hoops. I didn't like that at the time, but see when I see it now with the big umbros and all that through it, I like, look good, eh? that looks better now than what it did at the actual time. Um, at the time. Stuff like that. Paul's put in the comments as well. Rivaldo says about be, Rivaldo says about being offered a trial for Celtic. Replacing one of the biggest players in the history of the club wouldn't have been easy, but I'm sure that I could have made my own story at Celtic. There I you go. You. Eh? There well, you go. You need to look at the one thing just to very quickly touch on that is you know you need to look at how seriously he took it at Olympiacos. He did not go there, you know, Rivaldo had this r- reputation for, you know, waltzing about and that, you know, if you look at his uh, his best bits, he's an Olympiacos like legend, one of their mm-hmm. best players of all time. He was doing magical things for them. I think he stayed there for four years up to he's about 36, 37. I know, I know. Um, he, he took it seriously. And if, you know, if he'd came with that attitude to Celtic, I mean, imagine 
Uh, just imagine the day Rivaldo signs for Celtic. It would have been bonkers. It's utterly madness. I forgot about that. I can't believe I, I forgot about that um, uh, crazy episode that we tried to get Rivaldo on loan. Yeah. There was another one, Amoroso, that he tried to get as well. The other Brazilian striker, I think he'd been at Dortmund. He'd had a good spell in Italy. That's right. That's right. Aye. And aye. again, he was offered a trial. Oh, and 15 years later, things have really improved. Um, <laughs> right, so I've parked a DeLorean on Sandeman Street. We've been fired into Dundee. I've parked it on Sandeman Street. It's the 19th of March, 2005. Uh, we find ourselves, along with the 10,828, going to Tanadice to where we're playing a bottom of the league, Dundee United. A Dundee United who have just recently sacked Ian McCall as manager and yes. he, and his assistant, uh, Gordon Chisholm, actually replaced him. Now, Chisholm lasts nine months in the job before he, get, he gets replaced by uh, Craig Brewster. Right. We're, we're, we're looking for victory to take us back to the le- top of the league. And despite a good run of form, uh, the team are looking leggy. There's, there's already rumours about Martin O'Neill what's going to happen at the end of the season and the squad are looking like this is just a season too far for them um, so the team that wandered out the tunnel that day is Big Rab and Goals Wee Jackie Bobo Baldy Stan Varga Urlich Lawson Aidan Magide Stan Petroff Neil Lennon Alan Thompson Craig Bellamy and John Hartson the subs that day were Ross Wallace, who came on for Lawson in 78 minutes, Stephen Henshaw, who came on for Magidi mm-hmm. in 84 minutes, and Chris Sutton, who came on for Hartson after 61 minutes. And the subs that one they used were Marshall, Valharn, David Fernandez, and Sean Maloney. What's your thoughts on that team, Muscle? I think the first thing we need to start from back to front, right? So... Has Rod Douglas won his plays back off David Marshall? Um, I think by this point, yes. Must have. Mm-hmm. That's mad. That's mad. I knew you come to think. Uh, knew you come to but I didn't think about Big Douglas. I looked at the Wikipedia and I watched obviously the well the Celtic the the, the Celtic Wiki. We need to give them a wee drop, a wee mention actually because. They do help us a lot with the show. Oh, definitely. I. Aye. Aye. Cheers, guys. Um, but yeah, I think I watched the YouTube highlights first mm-hmm. and I thought, wait, the new? Why is Rab Douglas playing? So I presumed Marshall was injured. And then you go on, you see he's on the bench. Now, I can't, I don't know, maybe he wasn't fully fit. I'm not sure. I can't remember that time, but I thought, I thought Douglas was, I didn't think he was out the building by then. But by by no stretch did I think he was playing first team football by then. And you look back to the you know the Barcelona Marshall game and all that. That was the year before. Mm-hmm. That was the season before, and he had had this huge you know whirlwind beginning to his Celtic career. So it is see when you see that, and he was out the team by O'Neill. I would say the narrative now is that Strachan didn't fancy Marshall and replaced him with Boric. However, I'm beginning to, when I see stuff like that, I think. Is this form obviously quite, you know, dipped quite badly that season? And perhaps even O'Neill would have been strengthening the goalkeeping position in the summer had he stayed. 
Well, you look, you look at O'Neill's goalkeepers that he signed. Uh, Who was the big, best one? Big Rab. You had Headman. You had Broto. He uh, was the best one. Broto was probably the best one, eh? He I mean, definitely but, was. But he, I didn't complain about... Uh, I didn't complain about him sign, us signing Headman either. And Headman's a Headman suit screamer seller because he was a bit of a heat case. Eh? <laughs> uh, Afterwards, he's yeah. a heat case. He thought he was a heat case. It turns out he's just he's just a big blouse, mate. That, <laughs> couldn't he? Uh, that Bayern Munich, that goal away to Bayern Munich. Oh, you know I, mean? I, I was in Munich for I was in Munich that night, and like no, what one nothing up with twenty minutes to go, and you end up throwing it away again, and. Oh, but that's that was old Olympic Stadium that was in. And I remember when Alan Thompson scored. I didn't actually see him scoring because you're that far <laughs> you're that far away and the advertising boards were that high. It was a diving header. So you didn't see Thompson doing the diving header because you were that far. All you saw was the team celebrating and obviously you celebrated it. That was a great trip that made up met a lot of St. Pauli fans on that trip. Uh, and that—that that was Munich's a good city. The, the Bayern fans were a bit arrogant, but there we go. There we go. The first thing that—the the first thing that I look when I looked at this team, it's an old side. Eh? It looks old. Some of the names on it, you can, you can. I, I mentioned before they've went a season too far, but you're having a look at it. You've got Baldy. V- v- uh, you've got Baldy. You've got Varga. Lennon and Thompson are the two sitters in the midfield because we're playing a four-four-two that day. So your two centre midfields got no pace in it whatsoever, and Thompson and Lennon sit there. Eh? You've got a young Magidi who's just breaking into the side at that point, eh? And you've got Hartson up. You've got Hartson who's not the most mobile up front. It's a team when you look at it. It's there to dig out a result for me anyway. I think you're spot on. I think you're absolutely buying on the money. I think that whole season, my fear was. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct to Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Did you know that yearly Medicaid renewals will start again soon? This means millions of people who were enrolled in Medicaid during the pandemic may no longer be eligible for coverage. If this may impact you, the good news is you have options. Anthem Blue Cross and Blue Shield can help answer your questions so you can find an affordable health plan for you and your family. We want you to feel confident you're covered. Click to learn more. Policy exclusions and limitations apply. Anthem Blue Cross and Blue Shield is the trade name of Blue Cross Blue Shield Healthcare Plan of Georgia, Inc. And again, it goes back to, you know, you look at Seville and you think a couple of key additions then, a couple more £6 million signings, one or two. I'm not saying spend £25 
But another couple of five, six million, I felt that O'Neill had earned that uh, at that point, by the way, by getting us that final and taking uh, um, Mourinho's brilliant Porto team that far. I really do. Um, and then by that season, I think you're right, I felt that the average age of the team was now 30, which is far too high for an average mm-hmm. age to be. Do you know what I mean? And I had a thing at the time, Kev, where I think by virtue of playing a lot of championship manager at the time, date of births or years of births of players were registering in my head and I didn't know why, just photographic memory or something, man. So I was only two, and, um, and we'll, if anyone wants to test me on a, on a year of birth of a Celtic player between 2000 and 2004 or something like that, then I'm happy to play. Um, but like, or any player, in fact. And uh, But genuinely, I, I, I was like, he was born in 71, he was 73, He's like, and that's how I was like processing their ages at the time. I know that sounds total messed up, but I'm a weirdo. It was genuinely, it was mad how how many of the players had now became in this cycle of just coming out their peak, but still expected to do their peak's work. And I feel that McGeady had far too much pressure on him in that environment. Mm-hmm. Far too much pressure was placed on. And that's not O'Neill's fault either. He's got a great talent there that he's got to play. And I think, though, know, for the, the guy who's going to come up with a moment of magic, shouldn't be someone at that stage who would have been, what, 18 years old? He would have been, I, he would have been 18 approaching at that his, point, uh, Approaching yeah. his 19th birthday. And by that season, you knew there was a lot of weight of expectation on McGeady. Um And that's not how it should have worked. He, when you look at when you look at that side, only McGeady and Bellamy are going to supply any. F- f- he's disappeared. Only McGeady, only McGeady and Bellamy are going to supply any fair and flair and pace in that side. Even Petrov's on the right hand side of midfield, but I've said Petrov is the best Celtic midfielder in the last twenty. The last. Uh, 20 years and I'm not going to deny that but he was never a right he was never a right hand sided midfielder he he gave you a shift out on the right hand side but that was not his best best position do you think that frustrated him? I I think when you have a look at this side there seems to be a lot of get the best of living on the pitch and see what happens which which was one of the things that we blame that we says to uh, it says about Neil Lennon. And this seems to be, we've went to a flat back four, but it's obviously Martins wanting a big back line because you've got Urlick Lawson playing at left back, who is not going to give you the galloping runs that you would, you would expect. <laughs> Whipping balls into the box past the, do you know what I mean? <laughs> but, then, but then Douglas, what do we know? Because the two fullbacks set up the first two goals. So what do we know about galloping fullbacks and why are we trying to tell Martin O'Neill how to pick a football team? Don't worry. I mean, we start the game well and in the fifth minute, we Jackie Mack bursts across the halfway line and he's got that wee scurrying stride. Do you remember? He's, he always seems to be, his, his legs seem to be struggling to keep up with his top half of his body as, as he's running eh? <laughs> And he finds Craig Bellamy unmarked on the, the right-hand side corner of the, the box, eh? Bellamy takes a couple of touches and unleashes the shot right into the opposite top corner. I mean, if the net was the there, it was killing somebody in that stand. It was hit that hard. It was an absolute peachy. That's what I call an arrow. That oh. is going like an arrow into that corner. 
And do you know the only thing that killed it for me a wee bit watching the highlights back was the commentator saying he's lining up for a shot here. He's in the exact corner of the box. He's no right to be lining up for a shot there. I wish the commentator had said that because it'd been brilliant to see the the reaction if you know. Oh, and he's had a he's had a shot at goal. And it, it was just it was such a it was spontaneous, and that's that killer stuff we were talking about yesterday as well. The killer instinct thing <laughs> that. Uh, He's, I don't know where he spied that shot from, but the way he's, it's so deliberate, it's, it's very, very good. I think it's the space. I think he, uh, he's got that much space. He goes, I'm having a go at this. And for me, he even telegraphs it to the goalkeeper. I'm putting it in that corner, by the way, but you're not, but you're not stopping this. I'm only putting this in one place, but, you, but oh, you're yeah. not stopping this. It's an absolute peachy goal. And that's what Bellamy brought to that side. It was complete and utter, like, individuality and that brilliance. He has another chance just after it, and when he runs down the left, like uh, a Welsh, you say, bolt, and I think uh, I think it's Mark Wilson he outstrips, and he bursts into the box and hits the side netting with the ball. And what, what goal was that that he did then, he then made up for? Man, the Man City Man U derby at Old Trafford. He's no, got the exact, exact same, same goal, the exact and, he same goal and, he, and he knocks it in near post. Almost, it's the exact type of same type of finish. But it does. It, it's it was mental when I watched it back. I thought that is exactly what he did at Old Trafford, and it's the same type of finish he goes for. Beat him at the near post as opposed to cutting it across the goal because you don't expect that. Aye, uh, it's a it's a when he bursts into the box. It's a poor finish because he just kind of stabs it instead of when yeah. you look at it, when you look at his finish a couple of minutes before, and then you look at this finish. It doesn't bode well for the game that we spoke about at Fort Park when he missed a couple of one uh, one one on ones. Eh? But you go, how can you do the brilliant bit then yeah. just make make a make an arse here? Big Bobo then misses a free header just after it as well. He yep. headers it straight into Tony Bullock's uh, hand. Then, bizarrely, we allowed Dundee United to equalise. So, for anybody that can remember this goal, the Dundee United goalie launches the ball from the edge of his own box and nobody touches it until Jim McIntyre volleys it in the Celtic penalty area, just above the penalty spot. It was an unbelievable goal to lose. And this was when Stan Varga as well. Stan was superb for us, but at this point, his legs are creaking and, he, and, and he's not looking as mobile. But this ball doesn't touch the ground for the goalkeeper kicking it <laughs> until Jim McIntyre volleys it into the ball. I'm, I'm calling it a volley. I'm sure Jim would probably say he scuffed it, but he, it, wasn't, it wasn't a clean. He didn't, he didn't catch it clean. But yeah, yeah, he managed to direct the ball into the net, and 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 I was like, "What a horrible goal it was! What a terrible yeah. goal it was!" Well, Kev, do you not think it was the exact type of ball that that Celtic defence didn't try and play against them? Because that Celtic defence that was meat and drink. Do you know what I mean? I know lumping the ball up from the goalie. That's the one thing. That's the you worried about teams when they passed it round the Celtic defenders. Do you know what I mean? Because then turning was maybe a wee bit slower, as you say. But balls coming that long, that was the one thing you you, you always went, perfect, they can do that all day if they want. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We'll be fine. And yeah, that goal, as you rightfully say, it just seems to, once it's bounced once, you just know you're going, that's going to be the goal when I was watching it back. And I, I did remember it when I seen it, but it was like, you knew this is going to be the goal here. 
And it, I just felt like that type of ball, that is what I associated with those Celtic defenders just lapping up all day. They loved that. But I've got to say, you look at the Dundee United's three centre-backs that day, and you think, do you know what? They had three lumps as well, did they know? They did. Gary Kenneth Gary was Kenneth, one of them. Richie, Paul Richie and Alan Archibald. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's, there's no much mobility in there. What I, what I noticed about the Dundee United team, and this is something that I forgot, Derek McInnes played for them. Derek McInnes played for Dundee United. I forgot, oh. I forgot uh-huh. that. I mean, he came we, back. He came back for West Brom. That's right. Aye, aye. I mean, West Brom. He came from. See that goal, eh? Big Varga looks like a teenager that's been sent to tidy his room because he's just like sort of. Oh, Lord, I'm meant to, I'm meant to deal with that ball, and it's a horrible goal. Even when I saw it again, and I can remember watching it at the time, and I'm going, "How did they? How did they manage that? It's just a just a punt doing the doing the field. Nothing much. It happens after that." But we regained the lead on 34 minutes. Uh, Urlich Lawson, after we, after I just says he was never a fullback, decides whatever Jackie can do, he can do as well on the left-hand side. And he strolls across the halfway line. And he fires the ball to Bellamy on the left, left edge of the box. And with this time... With his left foot, because his, his first one was his right foot, with his left foot, he fires it into the opposite top corner. And you go, wow, how did you manage to do that? This is a tremendous strike because he's running away from goal. He's running towards the corner flag and he somehow manages to turn his body and angle the shot across, so like across his body, straight into the top corner. It's a, it's another it's another fantastic shot. He's got great gravity. He's got great purpose with that goalie. But there you go, a rocket with his right foot and a rocket with his left foot. Oh, mate, I mean, the way he could swivel with the hips as well was, you know, outstanding. I mean, there's a moment later in the game, um, quite similar, but he's got his back to go, shimmies one way, goes the other, and he probably, you know, by his standards, should have scored. Um, but yeah, I just think he had a whole sense of gravity and he could just turn just so quick. I don't know what the saying is, turns on a sixpence or something, but I mean, he really was something like that. Anyway. But I mean, he really could. He, it was amazing, as you say. It's the fact that he's swiveled his body as he's hitting the shot. Mm-hmm. So he's like, he's having to do both techniques in one. If he hits that straight there, it's going 20 yards wide. But, he'd add all that. but to generate the same amount of power as if he was hitting it straight, to be going not to the near post, but the the far corner is shows you how quickly he's swiveled his body in a position to do that. It's really really impressive, actually. Um, it's, po- it's power and accuracy that that you can aye, actually get. That's one second at the speed. it's it's phenomenal. Wow. Liam Dominic Carlo. Uh, says Gary Gary Kenneth now at Dundee Junior side Lockheed United probably the best centre back in the league up in the east I think I saw uh... it's the marketers report this week Patrizia Spagnoletto global chief marketing officer direct consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, 
then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. A documentary could have been a view from the terrace and a bit about Gary, Gary Kenneth and his return. And he is playing for Lockheed United now. What age will Kenneth be? Because he was a young lad at that time. I think he was born in 87, I'm sure. I'm sure he was. I think so. I same age as me, I think so. But 33, 34. It'll be something like that. Anyway, it might not be 87, but it'll be something like that. He got a Scotland cap as well, Gary Kenneth. So there you go. You've got, you've got a Scottish international playing for Lockheed United. Mental. At this precise moment in time. Um, we're into the second half. And Dundee United are better than us in the second half. Big Rab's kept us in the game a couple of times. Yeah. And that's symptomatic of Celtic this season. And if you think Craig Bellamy scored two thunder bastards, Barry Robson says anything Craig Bellamy can do, I can do as well. And this is another peachy a goal. Yeah. Uh, and it's something that we saw him doing for Celtic when he eventually ended, uh, rocked up at Celtic Park. Eh? But it's a, what a strike this is as well. And Big Rab didn't have any any like chance of saving this. No. I mean, we talked about arrows earlier on. Kev, I mean that—that that is exactly. It's the same, the same arrows that uh, Barry Robson's using. Again, it's across the keeper, mm-hmm. but there's that much pace on it and accuracy. Again, as you say, there's nothing anyone can do. But what a strike! And he did that a lot for Dundee United before we actually brought him in. You know, it seemed to take a lot for us to want to take the humongous one million pound punt on him. Mm-hmm. Do you wonder if? You know, again, I think he signed for Celtic. He was twenty nine. I think he could have been there a couple of years before that. I really do. I mean, he and because he when he came, he was one of my favourite players. I've looked to admit in that team. I just I loved, I loved his dig. But I thought he became more about his dig than his actual technical ability because he was older. Now he was 31, 32, but when I mean, he was still in the in the centre of midfield. What I noticed watching this game back is he's built like a butcher's pencil. When, he's, when he strikes us. The three years later, when he comes to us, he's full out and he's... Completely he's, he's different. A, he's still a winger at this point. He's still playing He's still playing wide left at this point. By the yep. time he gets to us, he's, he's bulked up. Maybe it's just his metabolism yeah, right. changing as, as, as getting older. Uh, but it's some striking. He enjoyed it. He really did enjoy it. He went, he went, a, bit, he went a bit rag after he scored as I well. I like that, though. I like ah, that. Yeah, yeah. You hit a ping. Like, that was a ping, mate. Do you know what I mean? You do that to equalise against Celtic when it's, you know, not in a disrespectful way, but one of only a few times that season, Tannadice is going to be full house. I think the crowd, I say I think the crowd, I read the crowd was 10,828. So that's about, that's mm-hmm. it pretty much as full as it can get. You know, what a buzz that must be. Fair play. Aye, good. This seems to spring Celtic into life. And um, 
after Robson equalises, we have Sutton has a half chance, which produces a good save. Craig Bellamy self has another chance as well. But the winner comes, and we talk about Tony Bullock shelling the ball down the park. Big Rab shells one down the park, and Chris Sutton flicks it on. Bellamy is on it like a flash, and it bounces once, then with his left peg, he sort of half half volley, half chips it over the goalkeeper into the so net. Nice. And it's another. It's one of the best. That was one of the best hat tricks you'll ever see, and it's probably yep. one of the best hat tricks I've ever seen in a Celtic jersey. I agree. Um, and he runs to that corner with the wee fair play stand in the, in the shed, and he's got that grimace of somebody who's constantly con- who's constantly constipated because he always looked angry when he scored. I mean, I like that. Was, I, I like that. that's how I think he used to bite the collars off his top. Cut <laughs> the bag. He used to just bite them, eh? and that was that was his, that was his pre-game ritual. He just bite the collar off his top, eh? and that was an eighty-one minutes. I think he scored eighty minutes. And, and I think we've got to say we've got to say as well, Sutton man. I mean, this guy is a joke. That you know, folk talk about the telepathy with him and Henrik. I think good players, all good players, work better with, with Chris Sutton beside them. Look at Shearer, how prolific he was working with Sutton. Neymar, Larson, best years with Sutton. You look at Bellamy there. If Sutton's came on as a sub, I'm guessing he's got an injury prior to coming on as much as he went off later on. And straight away, it's just the intelligence of the flick. He always knows where they're making the run, where he's to put it, where it's to go. He was the perfect foil for, uh, for so many different strikers. And, you know, even that season we talk about and playing with you know a slower John Hartson, they were still battering in goals between the two of them in Europe and domestically. Sutton, in fact, took I feel a lot more responsibility in his shoulders to to become more of a goal scorer because the king had left, and mm-hmm. he actually ended up I think with nearly thirty goals. I think it was twenty or twenty nine. He scored that season, and I, I think for me he was he is the second best striker I've seen play for Celtic. No two ways in my lifetime. No two ways. Now, when you, if you were a partner with Chris Sutton and you see that ball coming and you see him positioning himself for it, you're off because you're going. You're, he's, uh, he, he's he's flicking that on, and, and he'll find you. But that's right. the difference. Take it. He'll find you. That's it's easy to flick it on to to nowhere. But he has got the football brain. He knows where you're making the run. Mm-hmm. He's either seen it out the corner of eye or he's just if he's smart, he'll be going into that area over there. So I'll put it over there. But I just, I, I thought for me, he, that flick on there just epitomised him to a T, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Zinko, usual contributor, comes in and says Sutton was world class, honestly. I don't think he maybe gets the credit that he deserves, Wales, because he was playing alongside the greatest player that a lot of us are ever going to see in a Celtic jersey. But when that greatest player comes out and goes, I wouldn't have been half the player if it wasn't for that guy. Yeah, like yeah. David Kelly. Uh, this is a great point that David Kelly makes. Funny how, funny how many good strikers Sutton just happened to play alongside. Eh? And, that, <laughs> and that, that, that's it. And I, and I look back. I think I think it's brilliant by Zinko saying about the the world class element. Now, would Chris Sutton have got that label if Sven Goran Eriksson had grown? You know the cojones to call him up for the, the England World Cup squad 2002 because if you're telling me Michael Owen wouldn't have benefited from
from playing alongside Chris Sutton or would have done better with Emil Heskey. We are talking a different sport, a completely <laughs> different sport. Now, there's a stat about Mike Owen with Emil Heskey, which is, I think, Heskey supplied him with, I can't remember the amount of percentage, but it's a high percentage of Owen's goals. And I go, well, double it. Double it, and that's what would have been the case if it had been... Sutton would have looked at Owen straight away and went, I know exactly what I'm doing with you. It would have worked. They, he would, they would have been deadly, especially Sutton at his peak 2002 World Cup. And that's all because he told Glenn Hoddle to run it. Was it, you know, Kev, was it Kevin? Was it no, Glenn Hoddle? Was it Glenn Hoddle? Was, thought was Kevin Keegan. No, Glenn, Glenn Hoddle. 100%, 100% Glenn Hoddle. Um, but I just feel like that was really petty. And I, I do also believe it was the fact he was playing the Scottish game. I've got to get that in there because I do think yeah. that, I do think there was a snobbery towards that. I mean, Henrik Larson must have been sitting in that Sweden squad la- uh, laughing because they played England. And he's going... I can't believe that guy, Emil Heskey, is a starter for them. And my pal Sutty, who just set up 53 goals for me last season, isn't even in the squad. It's embarrassing. What I love about Sutton as well is he hated Alan Shearer. And everybody was... Right. Well, when that, that when they won the title, the, when Blackburn won the title, the SAS, and both of them couldn't stand each other. They just could, couldn't actually stand Brilliant. Sutton tells it like it is. That's the thing. See Sutton, and even in the media pundits, okay, he, he knows he's, when he's being controversial. He knows when he's being controversial. That doesn't stop him saying what he thinks. And when mm-hmm. he said that about Dunfermline, he's right. He's, you look back now in history, and you look at silly Jimmy Calderwood. You know what I mean? You go, Nate Warner, David Murray hired you for Dunfermline. Of course, mm-hmm. Sutton would have known that by then because he's quite an intellectual man. And Big Sutton wasn't afraid just to call it as he's seen it. And I like that in someone. I remember speaking to Gary Caldwell and I asked him who was the hardest, uh, John Hartson or Chris Sutton, to mark. And Gary Caldwell actually says, he says, he says, Hartson, you know what you're going to get. It's a wrestling match. It's physical. And he says, Sutton's a sneaky bastard and you don't know what you're ever going to get with him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, says, that, that, that maybe actually just sums up. What what it was, eh? but Big Hartson, you're getting a wrestling match and it's all physical and that. With Big Sutton, you didn't know what you were going to come up against. He, he could do everything. He was a full package. He could, he could play as well, Sutton. Oh, he could, he aye. Could. He, he, he was an intelligent you player. You don't get to play centre-half that amount of games for Celtic or centre-mid that many games for Celtic. Just I know what you were saying earlier about shoehorning players in, but at times he was the best choice for those other variety of positions as opposed to up front, and that is... Serious kudos to me, do you know what I mean, for being that, having that, that again, that comes into the football brain, because he's not in any of these positions for pace or energy or whatever, or what energy maybe, but not pace, do you know what I mean, and yet you could play him centre, centre mid and he offers something different, he just, he had definitely a bigger football brain and I think he gets credit for as well, he wasn't just some, some lump up front Kev, do you know what I mean, that you were just, Hoofing balls up to and hopefully Sun will come off his backside or his shoulder or whatever. Uh, he was nothing like that. Nothing like that. Nothing like that at all. After uh, Martin O'Neill says about Chris Sutton and Craig Bellman, he says, I Chris Sutton liked him and Chris Sutton didn't like anybody. He says, but he got on with Craig Bellamy. So he says, Bellamy must have something. After this, after this game, Martin O'Neill says, Craig Bellamy's just sent a message to the board. Uh, to, and they must find 
the first must find the money to buy him. And Bellamy himself said that he wanted to make a big impression at Celtic because to play in front of these fans is very, very special. So Bellamy got us as well. Um, it's just the same as Big Chris, as we've been talking, Chris got us. So how did we end up getting Craig Bellamy? Basically, it was because he fell out with Graham Souness at Newcastle. So you're always only a winner with the Celtic support if you fall out with Graham Souness. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would, I would just love to hit Graham Souness. Right, I know Souness is a, a, like a character and all that on the telly, but yeah, I, would love, I would love to hit Graham Souness across the face with a live kipper, man. Eh? Not a dead kipper, it would have to be a live kipper so it's flat on my book. And when you you have a look at, like, Bellamy coming in for... This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. On me, Kamara, who by this point we had sent back to Wolves, it was like insipid to inspired. Bellamy, Bellamy absolutely carried that team in certain games. And as soon as Bellamy came into that side, he was by far the best player in Scotland by a week. He was quite easily the best player in Scotland for those four or five months that he was actually there. So... You've got the option. You've got someone who you're saying that quickly is the best player in Scotland. It's hard to disagree. Of course, you know, I totally get your point on that. He makes a huge impression. So he's get he gets it. He's the best player in the country. He actually does it on he does the business on the park as well. Tells the club he wants to stay. It doesn't stay. Right. The reason that he didn't want to stay, the reason that he didn't want to stay, well, the reason that he never stayed was because, and Paul's told the story, and I'll tell the story as well. He wanted to sign. The fans wanted him to sign. But the bottom right. line was, if Gordon Stratton, who by this point had been had came in as manager, wanted to sign him, it was blowing his budget. It was blowing his whole budget on Craig Bellamy because the signing on fee was about six million pound. So Gordon Stratton decided against signing Craig Bellamy and he signed Magic Zaraski, Arthur Boric and Nakamura. No, I'm going to play, I'm not going to play a devil's advocate here, eh? Can you picture your life if you've ever seen Arthur Boric or Nakamura in a Celtic jersey? No, I think that's totally right. That's fair completely. Um, when was it that he signed Venegur and Durati? Was that the year later? That was a year later, I. That was a year later. I was hoping it. I was hoping it wasn't because I was going to compare their six million with Bellamy's, but you've kind of you've you've, you've you know you've you've got me this thing, Kev. I've got to admit it. Um, I, I mean, their six million I would exchange for Bellamy. To be fair, um, yeah. But you, can you but imagine you, that? But you've never, you never seen the holy goal, and you wouldn't have seen the genius. No, no, I'm not. No, no, that would be that would be really really. And again, what does that then leave him with in terms of, you know, another couple of more Camaros in the team because he's got no money to buy anyone else? I mean, I get that. I get that point. I forgot that was the same summer. Um, would he have worked well as well with Strachan? I don't know. 
um, maybe that played a part as but, well. But Strachan, his manager at Coventry, something in the comments can maybe... Yes, he was. He was, was Strachan, his manager. Aye, so... Maybe it would have, maybe Strachan just didn't fancy him. But I must admit, I'll, I'll go with Paddy John Hughes here in the comments. Good call with Strachan. I think when you look back on it, it was a good call with Strachan. Bellamy himself, he left Newcastle and went to Blackburn for £6.75 million. Then he went on to Liverpool, then to West Ham, then he moved to Man City in 2008, where, where Mark Hughes, friend of a, a State of Mind podcast, was a manager, and he played the best football of the career. The clubs that he left Celtic for, he was involved in £40 million worth of transfers after he left Celtic. He went to Man City for £14 million. Mm-hmm. £14 million. When you watch him at Man City, YouTube this, watch his goals at uh, watch his goals at Man City. I think he played his best football his career at Man City. And now I'm going to rewind us to the comment earlier on about Tevez. I was mm-hmm. listening I was listening to the World Football Podcast or Radio Five with Tim Vickery and I can't remember the other boy's name. And they were praising Sergio Aguero and his ability to f- shoot across his body. Bellamy was better than Agu- Bellamy is better than Aguero at shooting shooting across that that cross body stuff. It was a bit like Tevez. He had that wee devil on him. But for me, Craig Bellamy is a better finisher than shit Sergio Aguero. And Russell's dumbfounded. No. Absolutely dumbfounded. No. Watch the goals that he scores for Man City. How many? Oh, we're not talking how many. We're not talking about how many. Do you know the highlight reels of the ones he's missed, Kev? Huh? I'm talking technique. If you're going to play play praise. Surely a good technique is finding the back of the, the net. Yeah, and for me, I, I think it's a I think I feel that Aguero finishing wise. I watched I remember Aguero's debut for City. I think it was his debut, and it was like it, it was like City had signed a cheat sign, and you know what I mean. I think it was Swansea away, and he just takes the ball outside the box. He's about twenty-five yards. He just thumps it, dips into the bottom corner across his body, as you're talking about, it almost effortlessly, no back lift. Um, and I'm not here to criticise Craig Bell because I love Bellamy as a player. You know that I 100 percent did, but nah, I don't know. Uh, right, right. I'll, I'll clarify this. I'll kind of rewind myself okay. a bit. I'll, I'll kind, of, I'll kind of rewind myself. Maybe rein myself and fire it into reverse. Beep, 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 beep. There we go. There's my reverse gear. <laughs> There's my reverse gear gone in just now. When on his day, right, Bellamy was just as good as finisher as Aguero. When you see the amount, when you, when you see the amount of goals that he scored across his body. You, yes. you, you, across his across, across his across his body, I think I think Bellamy was someone who needed to play every week, right? He needed to be treated as the main man. He liked it. He needed his ego tickled. I think he was one of those players. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. When you've got the ability that he does, I totally get that. I think there was always there was a text or something between him and Shearer when he was Shearer's sort of partner and then they did a fallout I think at City 
he probably wasn't 45 games starting even under Hughes despite the 14 million uh, price tag you speak of when I think he was definitely worthy of being that um, I think he's, he's his peak moment was that that Old Trafford game. I thought he destroyed United that day. And if, if United had, if, if, if City, sorry, had won, I think his name in folklore at City would be different, if that makes sense. I think... Aye, definitely. That, aye. Do you know what I mean? They lost that game, which goes mm-hmm. against them, but he was a joke that day. And I, I'm going to go back to what you're saying about the money, which you're spot on, by the way. I agree. Nak and Boric, I would always want them. I would always want them. But this is what it comes to. Why does it have to be like for like? If you're getting a new manager and he's identified those two players at 500 grand, uh, Boric was. I think he was alone, in fact, sorry. Boric was Just alone I for a year. Was... And it was 500 grand. So scrap that. That's buttons. And then Nakamura is 2.75 million. For me, dig deep. If Bellamy wants to come, sign him for 6.75 because the one thing with Bellamy is you get all of that back one day anyway. You would then some. You, he does not get sold for two million pounds, for three no, million no. pounds. If anything, his value goes up. All you got to do is worry about covering his wages for the time he's there. But he will get you goals to take you places that will generate the club more money. As I keep going back to, I, 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 I would have made special ex- exceptions for him when your goalie that we're talking about was signed on loan. And Nakamura was under three million pounds. But we paid a fee for Boric within a couple of months. We actually five hundred grand, mate. Come on, was it, was it five hundred grand? Well, uh, when you're talking about budgets, when you're actually talking about budgets, you're talking about the wages and that as well. And yeah. I, I think Gordon Strachan made the right decision. I mean, we did. But you don't, but you don't want them all. This is my point, no. Why oh, of course, one or the other. I want the moon, mate. I want the moon. <laughs> Bring me in the moon. Uh, I, I, of course you want it all, but we're having a look. I'm, in my How unfeasible t- was it, Kev? How unrealistic would it have been to have went, aye, we've got enough. You look at Dermot Desmond. Apparently when he wants to step in and sign Roy Keane when there's five months of a dud season to go and pay him 65 grand a week, we can afford it. There's no money coming back on that deal, remember. And, yet, you know, you've got, you've got to think ambitious, man. You have got to think ambition, but then I, I can't see that Gordon Stratton's made the wrong decision there. I can't see it. I mean, he, there was a, a perfect opportunity for Bellamy to come back to Celtic, and it was in 2010 when he was leaving Man City, and he ended up going to Cardiff. For weeks, Neil Lennon and Peter Lowell put a deal together and went to right. Craig Bellamy, like went to Craig Bellamy, come back to us, because Man City knew how such how good a player he was, didn't they want to sell him to any of their rivals? They didn't want to sell him to anybody in the Premiership. So Celtic went in, and Bellamy himself ended up going to Cardiff in the Championship. That's fair enough. Fa- fair enough. It was, it was his boyhood team, and also it was for family reasons. There was family reasons. But... I'm thinking Bellamy in 2010 as well after he, that his season for his season oh. for Man City. He, he would have tore it up up here. He oh. would have really, really tore it up up here. Um, now, I mean, you're talking about he left Celtic 40 million in transfer fees. But there's an interesting story. I mean, he started his career at Norwich. And I didn't think this was Chris Sutton maybe at Norwich at the same time as him. 
Was Chris Sutton at the nah. No, no, no. Nah. Was, that, that would have been that would have been after it, yeah. Miles off. I know because Sutton was. That would have been after it. Aye, it would have been. Aye, because Bellamy would have been like twelve, thirteen. I mean, maybe, maybe uh, Bellamy was there as a schoolboy or something like that. But I don't think that if their paths uh, crossed, it would have been, uh, you know, I don't know, getting an autograph or something like that. You uh, and Boy Martin comes in there uh, when we're talking about Bellamy, Wages, Nakamura, Boric and all of that. Let's not forget, Law was the CEO and didn't they want high earners? Which is true because when you actually look at that, I think Sutton disappeared. To, uh, Sutton disappeared quite quickly because the because his wages. Jackie Mack disappeared to Wolves because they weren't willing to pay his wages as well. So, I. You and Boy, you and Boy Martin has definitely got a point there. When uh, he started his career at Norwich, and would you believe at Norwich, he was quite a whippy wee guy in the dressing room with senior pros. He never seems like the type of guy who would fall out with people. Does Craig Bellamy? Does it? <laughs> does it? Does it seem like that type of boy that would annoy the senior pros? But you know, though, kid, you need them. You, I think every team you need. But you know, I feel like Declan knew, but you know, you need a prick in the team, do you know what I mean? You need someone who's, just someone who's a nightmare. See, even mm-hmm. for his teammates, is a nightmare. So if he's a nightmare for his teammates, what is he like? Um, what is he like, you know what I mean, with, for opposition teams, if he's a nightmare to you? I can see what Paul says. He remembers Bellamy there at 15. Expected a first-team first game at 15-year-old. When he broke into the Norwich first-team squad, there was only one of the senior pros in the squad stuck up for them. Everybody else hated them. Who was that senior pro? Who stuck up for Bellamy? Who stuck up for Bellamy in the first team dressing room at Norwich? At that time. At that time. It's going to be good, isn't it? It's going to be good. It is Peter Grant. Yes! <laughs> well done, man. Well done. Peter Grant. Peter Grant. No, made I got carried away there. I was absolutely buzzing I got that. <laughs> uh, Peter Grant, maybe Eddie Howe's assistant, was the only person in yes. the dressing room that stuck up for Craig Bellamy at that time. It shows you how things go about, eh? Oh, it should, it should, you got to talk to me for five minutes, Kev. I'm just sitting here buzzing, man. I'm so I, glad I got that right. I know. So I, I, can't, I can't believe you got that right. That's, 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 one, that's one of my... Uh, uh, I thought you were never going to get that link. The Celtic link to that dressing room. See, Kev, this oh. is the influence you're having on oh. me, mate. This is the influence you're having, big man. I'm doing my homework these days. No, you're I, I knew it must be Celtic related. I knew it had to be Celtic related. That was the only thing I could think about. Right. That, <laughs> Stuart Horan comes in. Tankard for Boise. Ah, we need to get you one of the tankards. <laughs> we need to get one of the tankards. <laughs> Philip DeMarco. Darren Huckerby. No, remember, we were always linked with Darren Huckerby as well. Every, when Martin O'Neill Similar was there, type of player. Uh, Every summer we were linked with we were linked with Hakan Yakin and uh, Darren Huckerby. <laughs> that that. We're just going into the music phase, the new Kevin. Uh, Darren Huckerby was very much Craig Bellamy's B side, wasn't he? Aye, de- <laughs> aye, definitely, aye, definitely. It was a, it, it was a Poundland Craig Craig Bellamy. 
He was his B-side. It was. It was just... Uh, a so, dodgy cover version, whatever way you want to describe it. We're not going to do that, Rodriguez. No, we're not. Nah, we've done that last week, mate. We can't keep on repeating ourselves. We're, it's no soccer AM we're on it. We can't keep on repeating the same joke. Yet. Um, yet. <laughs> <laughs> Ian McIntosh, King Cladsey was a constant rumour as well. That's another one that always, every oh, summer, true. every summer that we used to, <laughs> we used to get linked with hacking, yakking, collecting. King Clancy, and, and, and uh, Darren Huckerby. That, that, was, that was a free there. Eh? Um, I noticed Ian McIntosh says that he's feeling rough after his COVID vaccination. I had mine last week, Ian. I can exactly where you're coming from there. It knocked me off my feet, man. Maybe that's why I'm saying Craig Bellamy is better than Aguero. Eh? Maybe, maybe that's what it is. <laughs> what, 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 what's a big pharmaceutical company injected with me? I do not know. Let's get on to the music, eh? Music, right? I'm having a wee look at the official charts on the 13th of March 2005. At number one is McFly with All About You. Uh, It's funny because I was a. Is that the comic release song? I was six years at school by this point, right? And I remember when that was number one because. My PE teacher basically comes up to me to make a deal with me, right? And he's like, look, I know it's a crash hire. You didn't do standard grade, but it's easy. That's how he told you. He goes, I know you're more than capable of passing this. He goes, what can I do to get you to pass this PE hire exam? And I went, buy you a McFly album. I'm like, well, you'll need to pay me or something, man. I'm not going to revise me. I'm an idiot. Do you know what I mean? I was like, I'm not, I can't be bought. And he's like, he's like, uh, even though I was smart, I just was one of those folk who didn't push myself, Kev, you know? And um, he said, I've got a deal. And I said, right then, because he thought about what I'd said. So he comes back and he goes, how does two checks of £32 suit you? And I went, go on. And he goes, the first and second year's disco, right, for like end of year disco or whatever, is going to be... I don't know, end mid-May or something like that, or before the, before the exams anyway. Well, it was the Easter disco, it might have been. Something like that. He says, you know your music. Why don't you bring your bring CDs in and that? He goes, and DJ for me. He goes, I need a DJ. He goes, there's a double deck uh, CD like deck system and all that with huge speakers at the community centre. I just need you to do one afternoon and one night. And it's £32. Two checks I'll give you for £32 for each. That's what they're paying you. I went, how long is the show? And he's like, Two hours, but you'll be there for three. I went, £16 an hour to play tunes. <laughs> and he goes, but you need to think. And I always remember him saying, you'll need to find some McFly CDs, though, son. <laughs> That's what he said at the time. <laughs> and I always stood there and I was like, McFly? I went, I'm not playing that, man. He goes, you can't just be playing the Who and Oasis and that. It's like, uh, he goes, it's 13, 14-year-olds Easter disco. So... McFly being at number one, I know I went off on another tangent, but yes, yeah, oh, no. that does bring back a lot of memories, Kev, especially that song, because that's what I'd finish it with. That's what I'd finish the set with, because that would get like, you know, the the youngsters oh, that were maybe going to be couples sort of dancing and that, you know what I mean? I don't, I, I, I don't know where we can go after that, Russell. I can't, I, I don't know where we can go. Well, you know, well, I'm not saying I like this song, I'm not saying I like no, no, that, but I, I remember back memories. I, I, I remember um, I, the only time I've ever been a DJ was at a Primary 7 Leavers disco when I was in fifth year. Oh, 
And this, show, this shows you how long ago this was, that <laughs> the Waynes just kept on coming up and asked me to play two unlimited no limits. That shows you how, that was 1991. And I think I must have played it, I think I must have, must have played it about 15 times. <laughs> That is longer than I thought, Kev. Definitely. Aye, aye. In 1991, <laughs> eh? So, number four in the charts is Dakota by the Stereophonics. That would be right up your street. You like the Stereophonics? Well, come back to uh, number eight. This is this will have a wee jump here. Number eight in the charts is Crafty by New Order. And New Order is one, is one of these bands that we're going to talk about tonight. Russell, Take us away with New Order, because you want to talk about their album. What was it? Uh, the Siren's Call. Call. Aye, so it's funny because I remember that Crafty song being on either, it was either CD UK or Top of the Pops, and I watched them do it live, and I'll be honest to you, 16, 17 years old, I, what would that have been, 17? I didn't know much about New Order um, at that age. But I watched. I just watched that song live and thought, "That's a belter." I I loved it right 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 from the get go. I thought I really like that song. Done a bit of digging. Like they did two more singles. One was Crafty and one was Jetstream. I think yes. And Jetstream I, was with animatronic from yeah. Scissor Sisters. Aye. Oh, is that her from the? Ah, joined the dot. She was from the, the Scissor Sisters. Mm. Ah, okay. So the the two singles that followed, I remember keeping an eye out for when the singles are coming out because I wanted to hear the next song this band <laughs> this band New Order's done, you know what I mean? <laughs> and then of course um, at that time, LimeWire was the. We're allowed to say that, eh? Aye, aye, aye. I was illegally downloading from LimeWire at my my bud's house at the time, and she was she was cool. She was really into. Uh, music and all that, and she's like, "You do know that's Joy Division." I'm like, "You what?" And then and I was like, "I only know that one song by Joy Division." And don't get me wrong, I think only she did as well. But we couldn't believe <laughs> that was the, that was the same band. Do you know what I mean? It was like what? Um, and that's how I found out, like obviously, like True Faith and stuff like that, um, Blue Monday songs like that coming out and going, "This band's mega." And then I've got to I've got to give a shout out to the guy I used to he used to be he used to work for me at the pub he would do the cleaning in the morning he'd do some day bar shifts but his age is probably with you Kev right and he would always hop back to ninety one and the glory days and that but he was a good guy man and he knew his music and he put on waiting for the sirens call and I went I recognise that song from a time and then the next one that came in the jukebox this was before the pub had opened was Crafty and I went. Now, wait, the new. I mean, I loved that song mm-hmm. uh, back in the day. And he told me it's from this album, Waiting for the Sirens Call. And I listened to it the past week. And it's very good. It seems kind of like what I said about Bowie last week, like they were having a lot of fun with it. I felt like it's a really upbeat uh, lot of songs. And it's only by track number eight. I can't remember the name of it now. Where you first hear the sort of stereotypical uh, Peter Hook baseline, do you know, like the, like before that, it's all like sort of really short. Like I don't know how to describe it because I can't play music. Do you know what I mean? But it's all it's all more bouncy. And then it's like track eight. I can't mind what it's called. And it's like it's like the longer sort of 
just typical Peter Hook style riffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, it's a great CD. The three singles are superb, and I enjoyed listening to it this week. It took me back, definitely. There's been a couple of people in the comments mentioned about LimeWire. David Kelly went, LimeWire, download a film in just two weeks. If <laughs> 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 uh, was the other one about LimeWire there, um, oh, I've lost it, it's disappeared. Why? Daniel Mack cost you more in Lecky than it did for a cinema ticket, did LimeWire. <laughs> well, I, again, I, just, I was using the girlfriend's uh, internet at the time, do you know what I mean? Was, was, it, was, it, di- was, it, was it dial-up? Dial-up. Uh, don't remember, it used to, used to get the dial-up internet. Was that, uh-huh. even before, was that even before your time as well? No, 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 no. So, My dad worked for BT, so... Uh, we were like one of the first folk, I remember like 95 or something like that, we were like using the internet for the first time in that. <laughs> New Order, a, a seminal band, eh? and even Joy oh, Division, yeah. I mean, when you go into their back catalogue for Joy Division of what they became, and they, they mean... They invented Ibiza. They went to Ibiza, and when they came, by the time you get to them releasing Technique and Brotherhood, you can hear the right disco influence. Disco yep. influence, and I've seen them. I've seen New Order twice. The first time I saw New Order, this is going to make you feel really, really young, Russell. I saw New Order at the Reading Festival in 1993. The head, the headlined on the Sunday night. Uh, and they were superb. That was when uh, what album? Nineteen ninety three. Republic. Republic had came out with. Oh, what's the song? Nah, 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 nah. Um, oh, I can't remember. It'll come back to me. It's um, interesting though because the first time I seen them was at Tea in the Park, two thousand five. Well, I reckon I seen them on this tour at the Barrowlands. I reckon I saw them right. on the waiting on the sirens called tour at the Barrowlands. Yeah, and, and a sh- bit. Uh, I nearly said Brendan Rogers came on. Brandon Flowers came on the stage. Is that him uh, for the killers? Aye. And he did a song with him. I can't remember which one. Um, but he definitely came out and did a song. I think it might have been Level Tears Apart, but Brandon Flowers, Teen Apart, 2005, New Order. Definitely happened. I might have watched it before I came on, in fairness. Scotland, nineteen eighty three. Regret. That was the song I was thinking about. It was on Republic. Regret. Regret was it, was, it, was the simple uh, was was the single I was talking about. Um, Ian McIntosh. No way, Kev. I was at Reading that year. Also saw the, the. See if I was to go back to that Reading festival, Ian. I would probably go and see the, the now, but I didn't go and see them at the time because I was there. Big the the. Get into them, Russell. They're a very, very good band. A really, right. really good, good band. If you're saying that they done Love Will Tear Us Apart at, at Tea in the Park that year, I reckon Definitely. it was. I reckon it was waiting on the sirens call that oh, I did well, see it because I think that was the first tour that they were going to that they started doing Joy Division stuff. And I, I think it was a big deal because I'm sure. I, they played it. I could be wrong here, but it was one of the festivals before Team the Park. They'd done Level Tears Apart, and uh, as I say, the missus at the time knew they were going to play it. That's why we went to see them. She mm-hmm. knew, like, that's what we were kind of there for. They were there. I was there for Crafty. She's like, song's rubbish. I'm like, it's amazing. But she, like, she was there just for that one song she wrote because it was her favourite song all the time or something. And it was because she knew they were going to play 
that song because they played it at a festival in the month before or the few Aye. weeks before. That that was so. I take it love did tear his apart, and that's how you're no longer there. Yeah, nah. it's the same old story for me, mate. You know, <laughs> this is just how it if, goes, Kev. If you steal your girlfriend's shirts, what do you expect? <laughs> Right, we wanna go down that we wanna go down that rabbit hole. Um right question. What's your favourite New Order album then? I don't know, man. Then I don't again. Know. I don't know what my favourite New Order album is. Oh, That's probably the first album I've listened to in full by them in my life. Is it? Right. Oh, For me, the album that you've got to actually listen to is Power, Corruption and Lies. If you if you're right. going to if if you're going to like listen to any New Order album, the nineteen eighty three album Power, Corruption and Lies, then Technique. They're they're my they're my two go to for with New Order. But they're... can I tell you my favourite songs? Aye, of course you can. I like Crystal. Right. Temptation. Uh huh. And True Faith. There you True go. Faith. Are they all on different albums? Yes. Aye, they're awfully different, they're awfully different, like, uh, time spans. I was hoping they were going to be in the same album, I could say, well, I can, that one, do you know what I mean? Crystal was on Lost Sirens, which was 2013. That that was, aye. Is is that? That's a tune, that is, as well. I love that song. Aye. I kind of didn't really do albums, eh, but but new, but new order, fantastic. I mean, any time you hear that drum beat, a Blue Monday. This, nah, uh, like, and the story about Blue Monday that they, it was the biggest selling twelve inch all time, and they didn't they make any money off it because the sleeve cost too much. That is just you know, Ken, that story, no? No, go for it, go for no, it. No, no, Factory Records, Factory Records is for me and Paul. Well, what well, I wanted a state of mind to be like that, but Paul's more business minded than me, and he, he does the he does the go down the, the factory record route. Basically, New Order made a sleeve a Peter Saville, who's a big artist sleeve for the twelve inch, right? And it cost more to make the sleeve than what it did. So basically, they were selling the they were selling the album for they were selling the EP for three pound. But it actually cost them four pounds to make the record in this. <laughs> so they made so, so so they made a loss. Basically, like factory new order. That's basically, basically new order bankrolled factory records for years, and the and the bank rolled the um, the bank rolled the hacienda for years as well. If you if you ever want to read any books or anything about the hacienda. Go to the New Order stuff about it, and there's some great documentaries about it. And the drummer for New Order is absolutely fantastic. He's he might be the only sensible one in the group, and he's really? gone. Uh, he's gone. I'm sitting at meetings, and they're talking about propping up this nightclub with my money. <laughs> he says it's completely madness. But that's what that, that's that's what they were like. Factory Records was really really punk. It was a punk uh, record label, and they just done everything. Everything was about the music. Nobody had contracts. Nobody had anything, and so that that's I like Blue Monday. Somebody came in and actually says they lost fifty pence on every copy of Blue Monday. It was sold. That is ridiculous. <laughs> that is just ridiculous. I'm more in. I'm more in Paul's camp with that. I would be definitely like, going, whoa, whoa, whoa! If the tune's that good, I'm going to make some coinage off it. Definitely, I know, hey man. 
Can I make a lot off that. Paul comes in and says, Kev, you're a punk, I'm hip-hop. <laughs> well, that's a, if, I ever get my, if I ever get my book out this year, it's going to have a Blue Monday vibe about it. I'll probably, I'll probably end up losing money on it. <laughs> <laughs> the way it's gone, anyway. Um, I'll, I'll probably end up losing money. I'll, I'll end up buying them all myself or something like that. No, um, I'll buy them all, mate. I'll buy them all. You know it. Right. The official album charts... Uh, that we can, if I can get my laptop to work. The number one album was The Massacre by 50 Cent. Never heard it. I've never listened no. to The Massacre by 50 no. Cent. Sounds like a massacre. Aye. At number two, there's a band called G4. I thought that was a security company. I did. They came G4. It looks like four guys who were operatic guys. Uh, at number five, the Scissor Sisters are there with the Scissor Sisters. Uh, okay. Number seven, Hopes and Fears be keen. Never a never a queen, never a keen fan. Um, but I'm going to go to number twenty-two. At number twenty-two is the ultimate collection by the Pogues. As soon as I saw this, I went, I can't let this week go by. And no, and we can't no talk about the Pogues. That's a superb been, choice, mate. Because they've been mentioned a couple of times in the comments and, and all of that. Uh, I'm just going to have a I'm just going to have a wee go at David John, uh, who comes on and he's going, I can't I'll tear these apart. It hasn't tear has they tore us apart yet, mate. So uh, hopefully the sniper gets you very very soon. <laughs> Kent will tear us apart. I mean, they can't even. It was even saying, guys. It was just, just leave uh, kitchen to us. Uh, <laughs> so, not about pogs. We're talking about punk. Let's talk about Celtic punk. And it's got twenty. This album's got twenty-two classic punk hits, Celtic punk hits. And when when you have a look at when you have a look at the songs. Every one of them brings back a memory and it all seems to be linked with great Celtic days or nights. It's got Fiesta on it, which was played at Celtic Park all the time. I remember Sunday afternoons in the new market for anybody uh, uh, for Sterling Wide all remember the new market and that's where I used to drink when I when I drunk. And uh, the, the Pogues would always go on and the Pogues were, the, for me, the Pogues were the first band that I realised that punk wasn't a style of music or a fashion. It was an attitude because the Pogues were a punk band. When you when you see pictures of Shane McGowan in nineteen seventy six at the at the Clash concerts and all that, Spider was in a, a band called I think it was the Millwall Chainsaws. He was in a punk band called the Millwall Chainsaws with Spider Stacey. Um, you're talking about a band who were going about in early eighties London playing Irish rebel songs. Yeah. A London audience and we all know how the Irish were I the Irish were treated in London, especially in the eighties at the, the peak of the, the the IRA's campaign, eh? So you're going this band had an attitude to start off when they went on tour with they went on tour with the they went on tour with the, the, the clash. Uh, and so they were well into the like that what you would call the normal punk community. But when you when you look at the twenty two songs on this collection, there's political songs, there's danceable songs that could make you cry. Like somebody in the, the somebody in the, the the comments mentioned, thousands are sailing. What a song thousands are sailing is about about the famine. It's um, Shane, Shane McGowan's a certifiable genius. 
no argument with me. But when you when you look at what's on this ultimate collection, you've got Fairy Tale of New York. Everybody cares about Fairy Tale of New York as well. I mean, it's great. If I should fall from the grace of God, uh, Misty Morning and Albert Bridge, Body and American. Every one of them's a classic. Every one of them's a classic song. A pair of brown eyes. Come on. Shane McGowan, for me, is... There should be statues of Shane McGowan for being the ultimate rock and roll guy. But I reckon that he's not talked about in the same sort of um, style as Keith Richards because he doesn't look like Keith Richards. He looks like Shane McGowan. All, all Shane McGowan has actually got is his talent. Sheer talent. He's a poet and one of the greatest songwriters ever that Britain Islands has ever produced. But you'll never see him on the front of a T-shirt. You, you'll never see you, you, you'll never see Prima coming out with a, a Pogues T-shirt like they've done with the Ramones T-shirt or anything like that. But for me, the Pogues should be seen the same as the Ramones and all that because they took Irish folk music, and I'm using the Neil Lennon air quotes here, mm-hmm. uh, Irish folk music to a, wider, to a wider audience. And we spoke about it before we came on. Look at the video for A Rainy Night in Soho. Look at Shane McGowan in that video with the, with the big shades and all of that on it. If you can see anybody that looks mere rock and roll in the world than what Shane McGowan looks in that video, I've yet to see it. He's, but Shane McGowan... I'm trying my best, I'm trying my best. But <laughs> you need to get the mirror shades on, mate. You need the, you need the, you need the mirror, mirror shades on. But Shane McGowan gets this, like... For me, this bad press, no bad press, but he doesn't get the respect he deserves because of how he looks, of the whole mess of, that's not a mess, it's a chaotic lifestyle that that, that he's actually lived, where he should be getting, they should should be actually getting like statues of Shane McGowan in places for for me. I think as well, I mean, I listened to the album uh, last night. Turns out you know half the songs. I mean, there's some songs I've got to be honest that I admit that I didn't know, know as well as I probably should know. But again, what should you know? I don't really subscribe to that anyway, but it, I loved it, right? And, uh, you know, the song you mentioned there, Rainy Night and Soho, generally, it was it was annoyingly like the first song I heard, but I played it again today and I felt the exact same way again, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. And because I was like, was that just because it was the first of the album I listened to last night? Do you know what I mean? And then I've just kind of, do you know what I mean? I've just went an autopilot or something like that. But I was, I was really trying for the first song. I played it again today, and I felt the exact same. I felt like I was falling in love, Kev. That's the honest truth. Mm. That's the best way I can describe it, and I can get slagged for that all you want. But luckily, I don't care. I don't no, care. no, no. Uh, I felt like I was like, that is the best way to describe. It. I feel like I'm like listening to something, and like he's. Taking me somewhere, do you know what I mean? And then at the end, when he says the song's uh, nearly over, and then he sings about, you know, you're the measure of my dreams, the measure of my dreams, just think, it's just a fantastic lyric. I know it might not sound much, I suppose, in this context, the way I'm saying it, but listen to the song. And then basically, you know, you're the measure of my dreams, saying nice. someone. That is what everything you build your dreams up to be, you actually, it turns out, are that. You are the measure of my dreams. I just thought, what an amazing, as you say, great songwriting and stuff. What an amazing way to put it, Kev. I just, 
I really, I really took to that song in particular. I mean, uh, you know, you're talking about the ones you've heard around the stadium. I mean, my era will always be, you know, do, 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 do. Like that, like when the when the boys at the back, I used to love that. Do you know what I mean? That was that takes me back to my first ever Celtic game. Do you know what I mean? But I think you talk about being regarded as a rock star. I think sometimes as well, people think of Shane McGowan as not as a singer. You know, just as this sort of rough sort of. Do you know what I mean? Like voice that's coming over. Folk that, forget the music. It's about the, the, delivery. The, the, the and and it's how you connect, Kev. Do you think folk see him too much as a parody? Oh, oh, definitely. That's a great point. I think that is one half of it. I then do believe people that aren't thinking deeper when they listen to it are just hearing a voice that they're going, it's no Charlotte Church, you know what I mean? It's not Will Young's site. Like, do you know what I mean? It's not all the octaves. Like, but it's about delivery and it's about connection. And that is two things. That album I listened to, Kev, I've got to, you've got to take your hat off to him and go, he connects when he's saying something. And when he means something a wee bit more, the wee bit more oomph he puts in it, boom, it registers, it pulls at your heartstrings and it makes something in your brain tick. Uh, I would compare it, if I'm being completely honest, to Johnny Cash's last album, his vocals, on that as a similar sort of vibe I get. Yes, yes, I'm having that, I'm having that. Aye, do you know what I mean? I'm I'm having that. Of the two vocals, they like because Johnny Cash, you know, obviously hurts the most famous one, but there's hung my head and stuff, and he he can't be exactly variant between octaves here, but when you need that bit of bit where you go right, that's that means something big, that's a heavy moment. They know how to deliver, and also I feel there's something the, the connection side is something that it's relatable. It's singing in a voice that we all feel. Even though we couldn't do it half as good, but you all you already feel like you could do, it. and having that relatableness is a brilliant thing because it means when you're then singing along with the song, it's connecting again now with you even more because you feel like you're doing it just like him, even though you're not. Um, and I just wanted to get that point across. That I thought he's, I think vocals are so important in a song, but for so many more reasons than. Just sheer technical ability, and I thought he really encapsulates that. And 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 as I say, I've got to say again, Arena uh, Night and Soho is now uh, that is that's a song for me, hundred percent, man. I mean, you mentioned Johnny Cash there. I don't think you can ever watch that uh, the Hurt video no. that Johnny Cash does. He threw actually welling up because no. uh, it's a, it's a powerful it's a powerful video. I mean. You have a look, somebody mentioned, sorry, the comments keep on flying up, so if I miss one, I keep it in my head. Somebody mentioned the Turkish song to the damned live by the Pogues. And I remember I remember uh, watching a Pogues video when you used to have videos in the early 80s. I think it was live for the Town and Country Club. And it was just chaos. And the audience was bouncing about the place and it was utter madness. Eh? And you've got Shane McGowan up there delivering passionate, intelligent vocals. But folk have just seen this guy standing up there with a cigarette, no front teeth, holding onto the, the microphone stand. Strange, funny thing is about the Turkish song, that song of the Damned. Uh, it's actually named after a song by the Damned, the, the punk band The Damned. Yeah, yeah. Um, have you ever listened to The Damned? Mm-hmm. Machine Gun Etiquette is the album you've got to listen to by The Damned. 
fantastic mm-hmm. album that is. And the, the Damned have got an album uh, called, uh, the Damned have got a song called The Turkey Song. And Turkish Song of the Damned is actually, they, they came up with it on the tour of like America. Aye, they, they came up with it. It sounds nothing like the, mm-hmm. it, it sounds nothing li- li- like it, but that's how they got the title, The Turkish Song of the cool. Damned. That's how we got it. Sure. For me, I mean, there's, there's plenty. There's plenty of like Pogues' greatest hit albums in that. Eh? But I think you've once saw the Lash and the album that I felt really fell in love with the Pogues' centenary season album was "I Should Fall from the Grace of God," and I can still listen to that album today, and it's still genius. And it takes me back to 1988, takes me back to the sunny days, takes me back to the centenary season, and. I mean, if some if somebody would if somebody would actually says to me that the Pope like you'll get into Irish folk music by a bunch guys with a bunch of punks and you go aye right then they show you the Pogues and you go like that what how how out out the box thinking is that instead of being a post punk band we're going to do fast versions of Irish rebel songs and write our own Irish classics in an Irish folk folk setting eh? that takes that takes balls that takes vision and that takes a genius which is Spider Stacey and Shane McGowan total fair total fair and you know I think you're right I think the style of music is maybe something that you can think, oh, I'm not really into that. I'm absolutely not my bag. And then, as I say, you know, you're listening to it. I'm listening to it last night. And I'll be honest to you, I kind of skipped to the ones I knew. That's fine. Because they, they are where they are. You, you're, uh, you're, you're off that playlist generation. I'm an album man. You know what I mean? I, I was the, I, but I, as I've said to you as well, I mean, like the jukebox was a big influence on me because it did take me to a million different tracks I would never ever have played either do you know what I mean I don't know what I would have been if I didn't have that I would have been not an album man I know a playlist man <laughs> Kev I don't know I wouldn't be on this show anyway hey but, um, and, and the thing is you were making money for the jukebox as well folk were educating you'd be putting money in the jukebox playing all these songs I'm like, ah, listen, I'm loving this musical journey, man. Go stick another pound in there and keep me on this <laughs> wonderful journey. <laughs> um, but I find that I find that you know the, the actual style of the music became really irrelevant very, very quickly. Listen to that Pogues album last night. Mm-hmm. The style of music wasn't really what was getting me. It was this soulfulness, singing songs that were I was connecting with, and. Obviously, the music is a style of music, but it's, it's good. It's not rubbish. I think you need to removing the labels from a lot of a lot of music is is a difficult thing for people to do. Uh, I think you get that a lot with rap and things like that as well. You know, people just have if that's in if that's in funnily enough fifty cent pigeonhole. You know, for a lot of people, oh no, didn't listen to that. Whereas you gave us a great education five weeks ago about the, you know the, the the multitudes of levels of of what rap actually entails, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I know. Well, Russell, we've been on for one hour, 32 minutes and 35 seconds. It's not bad I, for us, man. I know. I, I think we will leave it there. And we hopefully, uh, after hopefully we'll be back on Monday. Hopefully uh, we'll be back on Monday. And we'll be back <laughs> next Tuesday night for another for for another Scream of Celica. So from myself and Russell, see you all later, lads, eh? 
This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.